the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We uh, have another great program, and we will talk in a few moments uh, with Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote. Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote, who has also got a new movie out called 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules. And then we'll also hear from Jordan Henry, my colleague at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Jordan Henry is a the director of research. He's an expert on the Phyllis Schlafly archives. He's an expert on major events. And also now, he and I are both doing a podcast on the pro-life movement. We call it Life Matters, this key moment. So we'll talk with Jordan Henry, get an update. All right. Today, what you need to know? Well, what you need to know today, it's James Monroe's birthday. The celebration of James Monroe's birthday. Now, last Saturday, I went down uh, from my home in Northern Virginia. I went down to um, Southern Virginia, uh, south and east of Fredericksburg, to the birthplace of James Monroe. There's a home there, uh, and it is um, it is a uh, um, restored uh, residence of the Monroe family where James Monroe was born and spent the first years of his life. It was has been lovingly restored by my friend, the late Helen Marie Taylor, who passed away just the last few months, and uh, Bill Thomas, her great uh, friend. They all did that. It's extraordinary. And, and the event on Saturday had a couple hundred people. Uh, there was wreath-laying ceremonies to celebrate and commemorate the birthday. It was really cool. It was really well done. Well, same thing is happening today at the Hollywood Cemetery down in Richmond, where Monroe is buried. And his, I've been for years now. Now, and it is an extraordinary uh, burial site. It's got around it this kind of structure uh, that's stone, and it's just gorgeous. And that is a very historic uh, cemetery. And so it, it is on this date in 1850, excuse me, 1758. Sorry, I misspoke. 1758 that James Monroe was born. Now think about that. 1758. So by the time you get to 1776, he's only uh, only 18 years old. And he was the youngest founding father. In fact, when he was serving as president, the fifth president, uh, all the other founders were long gone. And uh, there he was. So he was 18 years old. Uh, he ends up in the army. Work. Uh, he was fought in the wars, wounded, fought with Washington. Amazing, amazing career in life. Involved in the, the Louisiana Purchase, one of the largest uh, moments, one of the biggest moments in American history. And then as president... He uh, ushered in this so-called era of good feeling of uh, a golden age, they called it, because everybody was sort of getting along. I think he ran his second time unopposed. So he was an extraordinary guy. But and it's a celebration of his birthday. April 28th, 1758 was his birthday. But I keep pointing people to a different achievement of his life. And that is the articulation of the so-called Monroe Doctrine, which happened in the first few days of December in 1823. So in 1823, uh, Monroe is in his second term as president, and he goes up to Congress to give them an update. It wasn't quite the State of the Union address like it is today, but be that as it may, he did go up to the Capitol, and it was a two-hour address. And within that, he spoke about this doctrine 
which became to be known as the Monroe Doctrine, which basically said, look, we've been at this as a nation since, you know, 1776. It's now 1823. I'm President Monroe. We've had these wars, the War of 1812. We've fought these battles. And here's what we're doing. We're shutting off our hemisphere from you coming in and colonizing and bringing your foreign systems, that's the phrase he used, the word he used, systems into our land. And he was particularly actually talking about the West Coast, talking about European and Russian uh, settlers and and, uh, ideas of of, uh, colonizing, and he said it's shut off. And from 1823, all the way down through the next 100 years especially, but after that, all the way through to today, The question of the validity, the continuing validity of the Monroe Doctrine, it's as important as ever in understanding why he did it. He actually, in in his explanation, he talked about how we couldn't have foreign systems that would corrupt ours. Think about that. Think about that when you realize that the Chinese regime in the Western Hemisphere has been spending trillions of dollars, not billions, but trillions of dollars, rebuilding roads and airports and satellite systems, all these things happening in our backyard. And they're completely, the, 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 the system of governing and functioning is different than ours. And mostly, the easy way to describe it is corrupt, right? Theirs is corrupt, ours is not. So that's what Monroe did. And in the last about 30 years, the continuing validity of the Monroe Doctrine has been reinforced in the platform of the Republican Party and also discussed more readily. So as you have a, a desire for world order and for new world order and world sovereignty, and yet then you have someone who said that, a doctrine that says, no, no, in terms of intrusions into our hemisphere, you can't come into our hemisphere and colonize and transform. It's a direct conflict, direct conflict at least or most maybe, and certainly indirect in terms of worldview. But what I would tell you is when we're watching a war in Afghanistan that we withdraw, we withdrew from so terribly, a war in the Ukraine where we have a president of the United States who is willing to announce that he wants more billions, 33 more billion announced today, to send to Ukraine to buy weapons, American weapons, and fight with Russia. If you're the Russians, you're starting to say frequently, it looks like America's in the war. And none of us in America asked for that, by the way. And so we have a we have a sloppiness at the top, in my opinion, that is putting us in a position where we're going to be drawn into World War Three. And so what is the Monroe Doctrine, right? How does the Monroe Doctrine, the idea, match up with uh, NATO, match up with, well, what Russia thinks of NATO? And more importantly, and this is where I, I turn to the earlier in this week, we had Brandon Weikert on the show, and Brandon Weikert, he tweets at uh, we the Brandon, we the Brandon at we the Brandon on Twitter. Great, prolific tweeter. And when you read him, what you come away saying is uh, the place where we better lay a stake and make sure that the systems that are antithetical to our nation, communist, Chinese, others, don't get control of the place is not Europe. It's not Ukraine. It's not even Latin America or South America. It's space. The Monroe Doctrine of space is what we need. We need a new, we need to reinforce the continuing validity of the Monroe Doctrine and understand how it fits together with America first. Basically, what Monroe also said was, 
and he, no, no, not basically, explicitly he said, we don't mess with the affairs in Europe. You guys figure it out amongst yourselves. If you want democracy or not, that's up to you guys. If you want monarchies or not, that's up to you guys. We're not going to get involved. Now, a couple of, uh, you know, 130 years later, 121 years later, we did get involved in Europe to go and, uh, and, and fight the Nazis. But the point in, in Monroe's description was, as to your affairs... You pick what you want for your system of governing and your system of government and your system of laws. And that's that's that, that's part of the Monroe Doctrine. We actually Monroe Doctrine basically says, I'm not going to go try to tell you that you should have regime change and put in a liberal democracy. That's not my role. That's the Monroe Doctrine. Sounds a lot like America first. We need to rediscover that part of it, too, to understand the worldview. The worldview is not that we hope you uh, pick a system in your home nation that exploits people, mistreats people, and is dishonest. We're not asking that. We're not encouraging that. We're saying we're not going to get involved because we know the limits of our sovereignty, and so should you when it comes to America. Well, transfer that to space. There's no part of space that is not uh, compromising for America's sovereignty, meaning we have to be willing to have military superiority in space. And when we have military superiority, we have to have in you know our leaders and ourselves be like we've always been, which is we don't build empires, we don't seize lands. And you can argue about the cultural, uh, uh, you know, the cultural influence of America and the economic influence is fine. But in, in a broad and fair way, you can say America's never used its power to dominate the world like it could because we have had a system of governing house and senate and the executive and the judiciary and a, a federalism that has kept us from that but right now we have to have a an understanding that military superiority in space is necessary to protect our sovereignty and to be totally candid superiority military superiority success for america and ukraine doesn't affect our national sovereignty the way space does so we've got our eye off of the prize we've got our eye off of the ball that we should be hitting to mix my metaphors what you need to know is that the monroe doctrine its instinct so american towards american sovereignty and national sovereignty and respect for other nations their choices, and also confidence in our own system, our choice, that's what we have to rediscover and continue to, to, to uh, promote the validity of that Monroe Doctrine. And then we have to have the courage to expand it to space and understand how it fits together in the question of keeping our nation secure. Because if you listen to uh, at, the Brand, at We the Brandon's interview, Brandon Weikart's interview with me from a few days ago, you can find it at ProAmericaReport.com. You'll hear him say, in the first hours of a world war, nothing will happen on, on Earth. The communist regime in China, maybe the Russians, will, will take out satellites, will, will wipe out communications, will, will cripple aspects of our economy and our lives, because that, that's where space, that's what space is. 
That's what you need to know. We got to get focused on the right things. So we'll take a break, everybody. We come back. We've got, as I mentioned, these great guests uh, and uh, a lot more. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. And do me a favor. Uh, if you're on Twitter and if you're not, get on Twitter and then follow me at Eagle Ed Martin. Share, like, pass it on at Eagle Ed Martin. We'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, my old friend, Catherine Engelbrecht, I admire her so much. She's the founder of True the Vote. Uh, she's worked so hard for so long. I always tell the story, Catherine. It's a small consolation to you and to me, but it was about fall. It was summer of t- 2000, and I remember calling you up. We were talking about something else, and I said, Catherine, t- does anybody understand what could happen in the fall? And you said, Ed, n- none of them do. Nobody knows. No- nobody's paying attention. And I said, but well, the Trump campaign, they must know. And Catherine Engelbrecht said, they really don't understand the scope of what the other side could do in terms of messing with the elections and the ways that they could impact it. And of course, she was proven right uh, and remains uh, proven right to this day. And she has a new documentary working with Dinesh D'Souza, the great Dinesh D'Souza. Um, and the new documentary is called 2000 Mules, 2000 Mules. I'll put it all up on social media. So welcome back, Catherine. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for, so much for having me up. Great to have you. So tell me about the origins of this movie, 2000 Mules. We'll talk about the movie in a moment, but True the Vote, uh, co- uh, uh, collaborating with Dinesh D'Souza and his media company. How'd you get there? Tell us that backstory a little bit. Sure. Well, um, Dinesh and Debbie have been friends for some time, so that was, that was a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a necessary, a necessary connection because um, over time, what we learned with the work that we were doing was – you know, as it continued to come together, we faced two dilemmas. Number one, um, it's a big story. And we, we knew that we could make a headline one night somewhere, but we didn't, you know, we didn't, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to capture as much as we could um, a full story in long form uh, to, to really explain what was happening, at least from our, from our vantage point, relative to um, Dropbox abuse and, and voter abuse. Uh, by way of ballot trafficking. So, so, so the goal was make long form content. I knew that clearly Dinesh is a, is a great filmmaker. And um, so we brought the, the work to Dinesh and said, what do you think about doing a movie? And, um, you know, from, from, from whence, uh, from whence it came then was <laughs> right. this, 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 uh, this discussion about how to, how to best, you know, best to do it. But it's been tough because, you know, there's so many channels that, a few years ago would have been open to promote the movie through to show the movie in theater and, and all of those, many of those channels are now shut. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a challenge, but um, we're very, um, we're very encouraged by the feedback that we're getting about the project. And, um, and it's an important movie for people to see. That's for sure. We're talking with Catherine Engelbrecht, the founder of True the Vote. If you go to truethevote.org, truethevote.org, you'll find out more about her, about her work, the mission of the organization, which has been extraordinary to uh, its kind of early days and to today, fighting for election integrity ahead of every, a lot of things everybody talk about now. And the, the, so the, the movie is called 2000 Mules. And to be clear for folks, it will have a premiere on Saturday, May 7th. But there's a bunch of stuff happening before that. I'll put it up on social media. There's a book that goes along with it. There's 
uh, you can pre-order the DVD. Uh, as uh, Catherine and I were talking off the air, getting more attention, getting people just talking about it, because, as she said, um, so many of the forces that want to not talk about it have power, uh, big media, especially big tech. So 2000 Mules, what's the title? I know, but tell our listeners what the title refers to and what's your show. Sure. Sure. Well, mules um, are the, uh, the term that we um, adopted to describe people who were, according to our research, uh, going on routes to drop boxes um, a, an extraordinary number of times during early election periods in the five uh, jurisdictions in the five states that we studied. And, and the reason that we uh, came to the term mules is because what, what we felt like we were uncovering was had, had very much an, an element of a of, of organized crime to it uh, very much felt like a the, you know the the exposing of a cartel and so the terms we used uh, were mules for the people that were actually running the ballots from nonprofit organizations to uh, drop boxes um, we referred to the nonprofit organizations as the stash houses and we refer to the drop boxes themselves as the drop points and it were th- th- those three elements then were, um, you know, the, the bulk of the study that we undertook in using cell phone data and, and geofencing to identify travel patterns. So what's the results? The results are that there's 2000, there's 2000 of these operators. That sounds like uh, on one level, a lot. It sounds like the tip of the iceberg on another level. You, you know, and that's a great way to think about it. You're exactly right. That's exactly how it should feel. It does feel like it's an overwhelming number and it's impossible. But also when you think about it, you know, uh, on the macro level, it, it, it doesn't seem like much at all. To answer your question, 2000 is the approximate number. When you take the five jurisdictions uh, that we focused on and you look at the number of people that um, or number of devices, let me be more precise, the number of devices, cell phone devices that uh, fell into a very extreme pattern of Dropbox abuse. Um, that number totals in excess of 2,000, and so therefore the, the name of the movie, uh, 2,000 Mules, just seemed like it fit. However, um, I, would, I would encourage people, you know, take a, you look at it macro, certainly, but then think about the, the micro insurgencies that, were hap- that, that was then and is still today happening across our country um, because that, that is the more appropriate, I think, framing. Um, the numbers of 2000, I mean, that, that's just scratching the surface in the, in the five jurisdictions that we studied. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot of um, coordination at the micro level, though, to roll up to a macro disaster. And that's what we saw in 2020. The, and that's the, um, you know, for, some, for, for someone like me, I ran the election board in St. Louis uh, years ago as chairman of the board there, appointed position. I learned a lot in a couple of years about how they worked in the complexity and all. And, um, and you, of course, the True the Vote, we're talking with Catherine Engelbrecht, who's uh, the founder and, and runs True the Vote, truethevote.org. Um, you know, 2000, it sounds like a ton of people, but in one jurisdiction, you, you, in one area, you know, you, this is, reminds me of the Wisconsin story coming out of there the last few weeks. You had one clerk who was accepting faulty ballots. One person, in a way, can be all you need. I mean, and, and you start to say one person. This is exactly it's a, right. It's a lesson for us, too, meaning uh, conservative and grassroots is you don't need to. Oh, I'm not going to do anything unless I get 50 people. No, go ahead and do it yourself. You'll see the ripple. And, and especially <laughs> if you get a coordinated set of ripples. So 2000mules.com is the website. Um. What's the, what's your hope? I mean, you, you, Catherine, you've, you've 
organized grassroots. You've influenced policymakers. You've been a media personality on key issues you care about. What is 2000 Mules? As you mentioned, a long form documentary. What are you trying? Are you trying to help write the history of the moment so people don't miss it? Are you trying to move the grassroots towards the issues? How do you see this film fitting in? Well, the first thing I hope we accomplish is that we create a, um, an artifact that encapsulates at least one piece of what happened in the 2020 election and, and examines it so closely that it's useful in future conversations to stand up against this nonsense uh, that, uh, that the big lie was that there was a problem with the election. It's, it's quite the opposite. The big lie is that everything was just fine. That right. is simply not true. But you need, you know, unless you can prove it, then all of these, uh, you know, the, 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 the legislative changes, the, the with, with respect to election integrity laws and so forth, unless you can prove the problem, then you're just, you're, you're, you're in theory, trying to force a solution that doesn't seem to have a, a point. Uh, what we feel like we're doing with this movie is pointing out, yes, ballot drop boxes were abused. Um, dirty voter rolls are a problem. A ballot harvesting, ballot trafficking should be illegal. And here's why, because this is how it is abused. This is how the process can be subverted. So we hope that it's a useful tool in that regard. But then I think more broadly, um, it, it's exactly what you just said, Ed. It's, it's the ripple. Um, look, our, our, our process is a mess. And, and you, you can peel back layer upon layer upon layer and you find everything from you know, the, 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 the person at the county office who's accepting fa faulty ballots all the way through to the fact that you don't have um, appropriate safeguards on mail-in ballots and therefore anybody can cast one and you really, there's really no way to tie that to um, an accurate voter record. And then you get into the voter records and you find problems there with, re with respect to the accuracy of the, of the core data set that governs who should and shouldn't vote. There are a lot of problems and it can get overwhelming very quickly. So don't, don't go there. Don't, don't let it overwhelm you. Rather look at inch by inch, first choosing to get involved, choosing to focus on one area of interest. And we're outlining some of these things on our, on our website for just the, the ways to take tiny steps to move the needle. Because if we all take those to kind of like tithing, if we all do a little bit, it all works out. So we just have to all choose in. Yeah, we're talking with Catherine Engelbrecht. That's exactly right. And again, uh, truethevote.org, her website has lots of uh, there there. Um, l last thing I want to tell people on 2000mules.com, we'll talk, I'll talk about it more on the show. I'm going to go see the movie next week in Northern Virginia near my home. One of our folks has uh, uh, made sure we're aware of a showing. I think it's on either the 2nd or the 4th. Um, May 7th is the uh, big premiere. Um, find a theater if you go to 2000mules.com. Spread the word. Uh, pay attention. Again, Catherine Engelbrecht, as my listeners know, Catherine, I talk a lot about you and your work and how valuable you are and, and your work is. And then also uh, Dinesh is extraordinary. So these two have come together. It's a key moment. So we'll keep promoting it. Keep us in the loop on it, Catherine, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. Uh, no problem. 2000mules.com. And I'll put all this up on social media as well as over at proamericareport.com. And I'll give you an update uh, when I watch that movie, guys. So we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with our old friend. It's been a long time. I can't believe it. I was thinking about it beforehand. It's been far too long. Jordan Henry is the research director, director of research at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Uh, he's been the lead organizer, the leader of a couple of a big events, a couple of big events right before COVID. And since then, we've done the events virtually, a Collegians event, which one will be coming up in June, June 14th, the annual Phyllis Schlafly Collegian Summit virtually. If you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can learn more there and uh, a lot more. So welcome, Jordan Henry. How are you? Uh, I am doing very well, Ed. Thanks for having me on again. Well, it's been too long. So and uh, now, um, Jordan, you and I have started a podcast. It's called Life Matters. And uh, and the idea is to rally the pro-life movement, talk about the pro-life issues in anticipation of this big Dobbs decision that's coming down in late uh, late June, probably from the U.S. Supreme Court. So first of all, uh, that's an offensive name, isn't it? Life Matters. And why would you pick that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it really gets to the heart of where America is going today. If you look at the news articles coming out from the states, from the different state legislatures and what they're doing. You've got some states are banning abortion entirely or putting uh, substantial restrictions on it. Other states are literally uh, putting legislation through that legalizes infanticide, killing a child after that child is born. So increasingly, we're going to opposite ends of the spectrum, and someone has got to cut through all of the political talk and and get to the heart of the issues that America is facing on abortion. And I feel like that's what we're trying to do with a Life Matters podcast. Now, you and I, even though I think of you as a colleague and and a friend and all, but you and you and I have worked together for a few years now, but, you know, we're a full generation apart. And so when I talk about young people, you are the young people. I mean, I talk about it, but you are it. It, it. How do you really think? I mean, how would you describe what what young men and women in their 20s think about abortion? I always talk glibly about it like I know, but you, these are your friends and colleagues and your brother and your, you know, your classmates. What how do they how are they looking at the life issue? You know, I think it's becoming a lot more real for people in my age demographic. You've got millennials who are reaching the point where we are having children ourselves. We are facing the issue of abortion uh, in a very personal way. And I think that opens up a lot of the questions that you don't have when you don't face those kinds of issues in your close friend and family circle. And so, you know, the left for the longest time has had it fairly easy with messaging on abortion uh, before we had significant technological advances like the ultrasound becoming widespread for prenatal ultrasounds. Uh, And of course, as you've pointed out before, even 3D modeling now is available for children while they're still in the womb. And so increasingly, The left is having a messaging problem with controlling uh, the way that people are able to ingest information about this topic. And so when you have the advent of the Internet uh, and now, as I said, people my age are coming to the point in their lives where they're facing these big, difficult questions, not from a theoretical standpoint, but head on. it's propelling them to look into this and to see the scientific advances that we have as Americans more than we ever have before. And people want answers. 
We're talking with uh, Jordan Henry, and he's the director of research at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, uh, the organization I work with. And he and I are heading up a podcast called Life Matters. The idea is to listen across the uh, spectrum and then speak about the issues of facing the pro-life movement. How do you rally uh, forces? That's a different question, Jordan. You know, you you and I struggle with it, or or at least we discuss it a lot. How do you, you know, you got groups that are called to different things. Some groups, you know, are are working to get uh, ultrasounds in the local community, and some people are, are sidewalk counselors. We've had the great experience of you and I of getting to know Bridget Van Means and uh, her folks that do such a great job at uh, Thrive St. Louis. Um, but it feels like it's not clear where to go. I mean, we, you, we've now into our third or fourth podcast. It's not clear where the movement goes after June 30th and the Dobbs decision, or maybe it's clear that there's a couple of different paths. Where do you think it all uh, is headed? Well, you know, it's so dangerous to give predictions about how the U.S. Supreme Court is going to rule because you can go based off of uh, the history with the judges, but you don't have so much of that because several of our uh, justices are uh, quite new to the bench and haven't faced these kinds of cases before. You could go based off of the oral arguments, but we've seen time and time again, the rug pulled out from under us when it looked like the arguments were going to go one way. And the decision ended up going in an entirely different direction. So you can try to make as many predictions as you can, but ultimately uh, we'll know whenever we get there. But if I had to take a guess of where we're headed right now, um, I think there is a very, very strong possibility of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned and the issue of abortion going back to the state legislatures. And more importantly, I think that's what people need to be preparing for whether that will end up being what happens or not. I agree with you. And I, the only question becomes, um, you know, when we talk, you and I talked and we should preview it on the podcast. Uh, we recorded a, a few days ago with um, Clark Forsyth, the, uh, the senior counsel at Americans United for Life, very well-respected thinker and attorney. And he wrote a book called Abuse of Discretion, which basically he had gone back and looked at the records, uh, the bench memos and the notes between the clerks and the justices in 1971, two and three, when Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton were initially argued there was a, an argument that was re-argued a year later. Anyway, he looked at all those notes and he basically discovered that they they wanted a result and they made up the rest of it to get the result. It's, it's a stunning uh, book in terms of the details. It's kind of what you thought, then you see that it actually is what happened. But um, when we listened to Clark uh, Forsyth, in my mind, you know, he talked about how this is going to return to the old um, status, you know, pre Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton means, well, the states decide. And some states have already banned abortion. Michigan has an existing law from the uh, late 1800s, I think. And other states have done these so-called uh, trigger laws, laws that go into effect if, if Roe v. Wade is reversed. Um, but the question will be, how does the movement support that? And listening to Clark, he was saying, Clark Forsyth, again, on our podcast episode of Life Matters, which you can track down over at uh, phyllislafway.com. Clark was saying, hey, look, in your states, You've got to support the people at governor, attorney general uh, in the legislature that are going to enact these laws. It feels like that's where the next move is, you know, in terms of movement. But it also doesn't seem to me to be obvious where the energy is. And if you listen, if you look closely at the um, the media coverage, there's Democrats and liberals bemoaning. Where's the opposition to a change in this law, the abortion law. I still wonder, Jordan, if we won't see some ginned up uh, protesting in the summer 
kind of like the Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, they popped up politically for about six months and they're gone now. It doesn't look like anything changed in the law or otherwise, but they're gone because I think they were a political tool uh, utilized by the left. I wonder if they'll be that kind of protesting. What do you think? I think that one of the most important things to keep in mind in the immediate aftermath of a decision to repeal Roe v. Wade is going to be, of course, as you mentioned, extreme upheaval. I would not be surprised if we had demonstrations in the streets and all that sort of thing. But what I think is the most underrated outcome that is likely to happen from that decision uh, would be that I think the Democrats would use that opportunity to try to push the issue of court packing. I think that is exactly what they would use. They would use a decision to overturn Roe v. Wade to try to pack the court. And then those two issues, abortion and court packing, become the hottest issues of uh, of just about every race in America. Uh, I think I think that's very, very likely should the court come down in that way. And so you wouldn't necessarily connect those two issues together, but that's right. what's going on behind the scenes. I feel very strongly about that. And, and that's the sort of thing that we need to be thinking about right now. We can't wait until the decision comes down. We've got to start preparing right now for what the pro-life movement is going to do to respond, uh, no matter what the court rules. Yeah, that's a great, um, I think that's a great uh uh, idea, great insight in the sense that it could be that it could be something else could, you know, court packing. It could be, uh, I mean, the, the thing that's uh, interesting to ponder is if you think about the major shifts in sort of social, in the, in the social fabric of our culture, abortion is one, uh, the gender question now in the last couple of years, certainly marriage, all done by the courts not done by uh, a vote of the people. When the people voted, they didn't want marriage to be changed to something other than a man and woman. When the people voted before Roe v. Wade, they picked where they wanted to ban abortion and places they wanted to protect uh, uh, life. You know, it was a different thing. So uh, good point. All right. Life Matters is the name of the podcast. As Jordan Henry has been joined, uh, joining us. He is the director of research at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And uh, you can check it all out at phyllisschlafly.com. Any last thoughts, Jordan? Well, I would just want to dispel the myth one more time. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not make abortion illegal in all 50 states. It just starts the battle. We have to then start going state by state uh, in order to fight this battle at the state level. So we need to prepare. Right now is the time to be informed. And I think Life Matters is a great resource to do that. Very good. All right. Thank you, as always, uh, Jordan Henry. And I will make sure we put keep plugging the uh, Life Matters podcast. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you, everybody. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. For those of you that haven't heard, Cancel culture is the latest trend among leftist corporations, politicians, and academics. To take down their political opponents, they dig up objectionable old writings, judge them by today's standards, and remove their opponent from positions of historical reverence. For instance, because Thomas Jefferson made the mistake of owning slaves, even though that was common in his day, the left wants Jefferson to be canceled. The same goes for George Washington, Christopher Columbus, and even people who posted something ignorant on social media a few years ago. The problem with cancel culture is twofold. First, judging someone for what they did years ago by holding them to today's standards isn't fair. 
Eventually, all of us would probably be canceled. Second, cancel culture is awful because it's not evenly applied. For example, former governor Blackface Northam of Virginia got a free pass because he was on the right team politically. However, even the exceptionally awful historical heroes of the left get a free pass on cancel culture. Throughout all of world history, there's probably been no one who has contributed more to the proliferation of racism than Charles Darwin. He's lauded by leftist academics for his supposed masterpiece on the origin of species. However, no one ever reads the rest of the title. The full title is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. That book laid the foundation for using the theory of evolution as an excuse to justify racism. However, Darwin really held nothing back in his sequel, entitled The Descent of Man. In this awful book, Darwin used questionable science to justify his view that the so-called civilized race of Europeans was superior to the primitive races found on other continents. He relished the idea that his superior race would one day wipe all of the inferior races out. Darwin's worldview is reprehensible and should be denounced by everyone. Yet the left holds Darwin up as a hero because he gave them an excuse to write off God. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, do me a favor. Follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin. Follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, and I'll get to a reason why. We'll talk about that. And also visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. ProAmericaReport.com will let you sign up for the daily email as well as uh, listen to these segments. Hey, as I'm finishing up on the program today, this last segment, let me ask you a favor. It's time to go back to Twitter. Or, if you've not been on Twitter, to go to Twitter. And the reason why Elon Musk has done something extraordinary by purchasing Twitter, he has challenged the status quo in a way that it hasn't been before. Now, you've heard me say he's not going to solve everything. In fact, it's not going to solve as much as people think because Twitter is only one aspect of the massive narrative machine. But it's a big deal. And one of the ways you can we can help is by going back to Twitter, if you're on, you know, Tucker Carlson sent a tweet, I don't know, yesterday, two days ago, after the sale had gone through or had been final or had been approved, I guess, or accepted. Uh, Tucker Carlson went back on Twitter, hadn't been on there in forever, long time, months, and said, I'm back. Um, so that's what he did. And a bunch of other people, I think, have come back onto it and said, okay, let's see what's going to happen. So if you're not a po- uh, not on Twitter, go join. If you were on Twitter and you haven't been active, check it back out. And then, no matter what, when you're there, do me a big favor and follow me at Eagle Ed Martin, uh, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter and get the word out because uh, the more we can, more we can amplify voices, uh, it's, it's important and uh, better. 
And as I mentioned to you before, Twitter is really a conversation amongst uh, the the um, elites, the establishment, the big media and big tech and big government. It's actually where the narrative machine churns. It's not where normal people are. If you go to Twitter, you're not normal for long. If you spend time on Twitter, you're not in a normal place. That doesn't mean that people aren't doing it and it's not worthwhile doing, I suppose. Uh, but mostly it's important for conservatives to get on there and also to encourage what Musk has started. Musk has put the direction of the thing in a better way, better trend. That's important. That's important for us to uh, encourage and have move forward. So, again, follow me at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to sign up there for the daily email. Hey, listen, thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. You don't know how much he has to go through to get the program together. It's a lot of moving parts, and I'm always moving around, and things are hopping. He does a great job, Noah, and I appreciate him very much. Also, thank you to Joanna Spilger, our executive producer, who helps us uh, keep things uh, going, especially in terms of guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.